0: section 35 of shirley by charlotte brontë this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 35 wherein matters make some progress but not much martin had planned well he had laid out a dexterously concerted scheme for his private amusement but older and wiser schemers than he are often doomed to see their finest spun projects swept to annihilation by the sudden broom of fate that fell housewife whose red arm none can control in the present instance this broom was manufactured out of the tough fibres of moore's own stubborn purpose bound tight with his will he was now resuming his strength and making strange head against mrs horsefall each morning he amazed that matron with a fresh astonishment first he discharged her from her valet duties he would dress himself then he refused the coffee she brought him he would breakfast with the family lastly he forbade her his chamber on the same day amidst the outcries of all the women in the place he put his head out of doors the morning after he followed mr yorke to his counting-house and requested an envoy to fetch a chaise from the red house inn he was resolved he said to return home to the hollow that very afternoon mr yorke instead of opposing aided and abetted him the chaise was sent for though mrs yorke declared the step would be his death it came more little disposed to speak made his purse do duty for his tongue he expressed his gratitude to the servants and to mrs horsfall by the chink of his coin the latter personage approved and understood this language perfectly it made amends for all previous contumacy she and her patient parted the best friends in the world the kitchen visited and soothed moore betook himself to the parlour he had mrs yorke to appease not quite so easy a task as the pacification of her housemaids there she sat plunged in sullen dudgeon the gloomiest speculations on the depths of man's ingratitude absorbing her thoughts he drew near and bent over her she was obliged to look up if it were only to bid him avaunt there was beauty still in his pale wasted features there was earnestness and a sort of sweetness for he was smiling in his hollow eyes good-bye he said and as he spoke the smile glittered and melted he had no iron mastery of his sensations now a trifling emotion made itself apparent in his present weak state and what are you going to leave us for she asked we will keep you and do anything in the world for you if you will only stay till you are stronger good-bye he again said and added you have been a mother to me give your willful son one embrace like a foreigner as he was he offered her first one cheek then the other she kissed him what a trouble what a burden i've been to you he muttered you are the worst trouble now headstrong youth was the answer i wonder who is to nurse you at hollow's cottage your sister hortense knows no more about such matters than a child thank god for i have had nursing enough to last me my life here the little girls came in jessie crying rose quiet but grave moore took them out into the hall to soothe pat and kiss them he knew it was not in their mother's nature to bear to see any living thing caressed but herself she would have felt annoyed had he fondled a kitten in her presence the boys were standing about the chaise as moore entered it but for them he had no farewell to mr yorke he only said you have a good riddance of me that was an unlucky shot for you yorke it turned briar Maines into an hospital come and see me at the cottage soon he drew up the glass the chaise rolled away in half an hour he alighted at his own garden wicket having paid the driver and dismissed the vehicle he leaned on that wicket an instant at once to rest and to muse six months ago i passed out at this gate said he a proud angry disappointed man i come back sadder and wiser weakly enough but not worried a cold grey yet quiet world lies round a world where if i hope little i fear nothing all slavish terrors of embarrassment have left me let the worst come i can work as joe scott does for an honourable living in such doom i yet see some hardship but no degradation formerly pecuniary ruin was equivalent in my eyes to personal dishonor it is not so now i know the difference ruin is an evil but one for which i am prepared the day of whose coming i know for i have calculated i can yet put it off six months not an hour longer if things by that time alter which is not probable if fetters which now seem indissoluble should be loosened from our trade of all things the most unlikely to happen i might conquer in this long struggle yet i might good god what might i not do but the thought is a brief madness let me see things with sane eyes ruin will come lay your axe to my fortune's roots and hew them down i shall snatch a sapling i shall cross the sea and plant it in american woods lewis will go with me will none but lewis go i cannot tell i have no right to ask he entered the house it was afternoon twilight yet out of doors starless and moonless twilight for though keenly freezing with a dry black frost heaven wore a mask of clouds congealed and fast locked the mill-dam too was frozen the hollow was very still indoors it was already dark sarah had lit a good fire in the parlour she was preparing tea in the kitchen hortense said more as his sister bustled up to help him off with his cloak i am pleased to come home hortense did not feel the peculiar novelty of this expression coming from her brother who had never before called the cottage his home and to whom its narrow limits had always heretofore seemed rather restrictive than protective still whatever contributed to his happiness pleased her and she expressed herself to that effect he sat down but soon rose again he went to the window he came back to the fire hortense mon this little parlour looks very clean and pleasant unusually bright somehow it is true brother i have had the whole house thoroughly and scrupulously cleaned in your absence sister i think on this first day of your return home you ought to have a friend or so to tea if it were only to see how fresh and spruce you have made the little place True, brother if it were not late i might send for miss mann so you might but it really is too late to disturb that good lady and the evening is much too cold for her to come out how thoughtful in you dear Gelard. we must put it off till another day i want some one to-day dear sister some quiet guest who would tire neither of us miss ainley an excellent person they say but she lives too far off tell harry scott to step up to the rectory with a request from you that caroline hellstone should come and spend the evening with you would it not be better to-morrow dear brother i should like her to see the place as it is just now its brilliant cleanliness and perfect neatness are so much to your credit it might benefit her in the way of example it might and must she ought to come he went into the kitchen sarah delayed tea half an hour he then commissioned her to dispatch harry scott to the rectory giving her a twisted note hastily scribbled in pencil by himself and addressed miss hellstone scarcely had sarah time to get impatient under the fear of damage to her toast already prepared when the messenger returned and with him the invited guest she entered through the kitchen quietly tripped up sarah's stairs to take off her bonnet and furs and came down as quietly with her beautiful curls nicely smooth her graceful merino dress and delicate collar all trim and spotless her gay little work bag in her hand she lingered to exchange a few kindly words with sarah and to look at the new tortoise-shell kitten basking on the kitchen hearth and to speak to the canary bird which a sudden blaze from the fire had startled on its perch and then she betook herself to the parlour the gentle salutation the friendly welcome were interchanged in such tranquil sort as befitted cousins meeting a sense of pleasure subtle and quiet as a perfume diffused itself through the room the newly kindled lamp burnt bright the tray and the singing urn were brought in i am pleased to come home repeated mr moore they assembled round the table hortense chiefly talked she congratulated caroline on the evident improvement in her health her colour and her plump cheeks were returning she remarked it was true there was an obvious change in miss Helstone. all about her seemed elastic depression fear forlornness were withdrawn no longer crushed and saddened and slow and drooping she looked like one who had tasted the cordial of heart's ease and been lifted on the wing of hope after tea hortense went upstairs she had not rummaged her drawers for a month past and the impulse to perform that operation was now become resistless during her absence the talk passed into caroline's hands she took it up with ease she fell into her best tone of conversation a pleasing facility and elegance of language gave fresh charm to familiar topics a new music and the always soft voice gently surprised and pleasingly captivated the listener unwonted shades and lights of expression elevated the young countenance with character and kindled it with animation caroline you look as if you had heard good tidings said moore after earnestly gazing at her for some minutes do i i sent for you this evening that i might be cheered but you cheer me more than i had calculated i am glad of that and i really cheer you you look brightly more buoyantly speak musically it is pleasant to be here again truly it is pleasant i feel it so and to see health on your cheek and hope in your eye is pleasant carrie but what is this hope and what is the source of this sunshine i perceive about you for one thing i'm happy in mamma i love her so much and she loves me long and tenderly she nursed me now when her care has made me well i can occupy myself for and with her all the day i say it is my turn to attend to her and i do attend to her i'm her waiting-woman as well as her child i like you would laugh if you knew what pleasure i have in making dresses and sewing for her she looks so nice now robert i will not let her be old-fashioned and then she is charming to talk to full of wisdom ripe in judgment rich in information exhaustless in stores her observant faculties have quietly amassed every day that i live with her i like her better i esteem her more highly i love her more tenderly that for one thing then carrie you talk in such a way about mamma it is enough to make one jealous of the old lady she is not old robert of the young lady then she does not pretend to be young well of the matron but you said mamma's affection was one thing that made you happy now for the other thing i am glad you are better what besides i am glad we are friends you and i yes i once thought we never should be Carry, some day i mean to tell you a thing about myself that is not to my credit and consequently will not please you ah don't i cannot bear to think ill of you and i cannot bear that you should think better of me than i deserve well but i half know your thing indeed i believe i know all about it you do not i believe i do whom does it concern besides me she coloured she hesitated she was silent speak Carry. whom does it concern she tried to utter a name and could not tell me there is none present but ourselves be frank but if i guess wrong i will forgive whisper Carry. he bent his ear to her lips still she would not or could not speak clearly to the point seeing that Moore waited and was resolved to hear something she at last said miss keeldar spent the day at the rectory about a week since the evening came on very wintry and we persuaded her to stay all night and you and she curled your hair together how do you know that and then you chattered and she told you it was not a curling hair time so you are not as wise as you think and besides she didn't tell me you slept together afterwards we occupied the same room and bed we did not sleep much we talked the whole night through i'll be sworn you did and then it all came out t'en I would rather you had heard it from myself you are quite wrong she did not tell me what you suspect she is not the person to proclaim such things but yet i inferred something from parts of her discourse i gathered more from rumour and i made out the rest by instinct but if she did not tell you that i wanted to marry her for the sake of her money and that she refused me indignantly and scornfully you need neither start nor blush nor yet need you prick your trembling fingers with your needle that is the plain truth whether you like it or not if such was not the subject of her august confidences on what point did they turn you say you talked the whole night through what about about things we never thoroughly discussed before intimate friends as we have been but you hardly expect i should tell you yes yes carry you will tell me you said we were friends and friends should always confide in each other but you are sure you won't repeat it quite sure not to lewis not even to lewis what does lewis care for young ladies secrets robert surely is a curious magnanimous being i dare say i can imagine there are both odd points and grand points about her i've found her cherry in showing her feelings but when they rush out river-like and pass full and powerful before you almost without leave from her you gaze wonder you admire and-i think love her you saw this spectacle yes at dead of night when all the house was silent and starlight and the cold reflection from the snow glimmered in our chamber then i saw shirley's heart her heart's core do you think she showed you that her heart's core and how was it like a shrine for it was holy like snow for it was pure like flame for it was warm like death for it was strong can she love tell me that what think you she has loved none that have loved her yet who are those that have loved her he named a list of gentlemen closing with sir philip Nunneley. she has loved none of these yet some of them were worthy of a woman's affection of some women's but not of shirley's is she better than others of her sex she is peculiar and more dangerous to take as a wife rashly i can imagine that she spoke of you oh she did i thought you denied it she did not speak in the way you fancy but i asked her and i would make her tell me what she thought of you or rather how she felt towards you i wanted to know had long wanted to know so had i but let us hear she thinks meanly she feels contemptuously doubtless she thinks of you almost as highly as a woman can think of a man you know she can be eloquent i yet feel and fancy the glow of the language in which her opinion was conveyed but how does she feel to you shocked her she said you had shocked her but she would not tell me how she felt as a sister feels towards a brother of whom she is at once fond and proud i'll shock her no more Carrie. for the shock rebounded on myself till i staggered again but that comparison about sister and brother is all nonsense she is too rich and proud to entertain fraternal sentiments for me you don't know her robert and somehow i fancy now i had other ideas formerly that you cannot know her you and she are not so constructed as to be able thoroughly to understand each other it may be so i esteem her i admire her and yet my impressions concerning her are harsh perhaps uncharitable i believe for instance that she is incapable of love surely incapable of love that she will never marry i imagine her jealous of compromising her pride of relinquishing her power of sharing her property surely has hurt your amour propre. she did hurt it though i had not an emotion of tenderness nor a spark of passion for her then robert it was very wicked in you to want to marry her and very mean my little pastor my pretty priestess i never wanted to kiss miss gildar in my life though she has fine lips scarlet and round as ripe cherries or if i did wish it it was the mere desire of the eye i doubt now whether you are speaking the truth the grapes or the cherries are sour hung too high she has a pretty figure a pretty face beautiful hair i acknowledge all her charms and feel none of them or only feel them in a way she would disdain i suppose i was truly tempted by the mere gilding of the bait caroline what a noble fellow your robert is great good disinterested and then so pure but not perfect he made a great blunder once and we will hear no more about it and shall we think no more about it Carry shall we not despise him in our heart gentle but just compassionate but upright never we will remember that with what measure we meet it shall be measured unto us and so we will give no scorn only affection which won't satisfy i warn you of that something besides affection something far stronger sweeter warmer will be demanded one day is it there to give caroline was moved much moved be calm lena said moore soothingly i have no intention because i have no right to perturb your mind now nor for months to come don't look as if you would leave me we will make no more agitating allusions we will resume our gossip do not tremble look me in the face see what a poor pale grim phantom i am more pitiable than formidable she looked shyly there's something formidable still pale as you are she said as her eye fell under his to return to shirley pursued more is it your opinion that she is ever likely to marry she loves platonically theoretically all humbug she loves what i call sincerely did she say so i cannot affirm that she said so no such confession as i love this man or that passed her lips i thought not, but the feeling made its way in spite of her and i saw it she spoke of one man in a strain not to be misunderstood her voice alone was sufficient testimony having wrung from her an opinion on your character i demanded a second opinion of another person about whom i had my conjectures though they were the most tangled and puzzled conjectures in the world i would make her speak i shook her i chid her i pinched her fingers when she tried to put me off with jabs and jests in her queer provoking way and at last out it came the voice i say was enough hardly raised above a whisper and yet such a soft vehemence in its tones there was no confession no confidence in the matter to these things she cannot condescend but i am sure that man's happiness is dear to her as her own life who is it i charged her with the fact she did not deny she did not avow but looked at me i saw her eyes by the snow gleam it was quite enough i triumphed over her mercilessly what right had you to Trump, do you mean to say you are fancy free whatever i am surely is a bondswoman lioness she has found her captor mistress she may be of all round her, but her own mistress she is not so you exulted at recognizing a fellow-slave in one so fair and imperial i did robert you say right in one so fair and imperial you confess it a fellow-slave i confess nothing but i say that haughty surely is no more free than was hagar and who pray is the abraham the hero of a patriarch who has achieved such a conquest do you still speak scornfully and cynically and sorely but i will make you change your note before i have done with you we will see that can she marry this cupidon cupidon he is just about as much a cupidon as you are a cyclops can she marry him you will see i want to know his name Carry guess it is it any one in this neighbourhood yes in briarfield parish and it is some person unworthy of her. I don't know a soul in Briarfield Parish her equal. Guess impossible. I suppose she is under a delusion and will plunge into some absurdity after all. Caroline smiled. Do you approve the choice? asked Moore. Quite, quite. Then I am puzzled. For the head which owns this bounteous fall of hazel curls is an excellent little thinking machine, most accurate in its working it boasts a correct steady judgment inherited from mamma i suppose and i quite approve and mamma was charmed mamma charmed mrs pryor it can't be romantic then it is romantic but it is also right tell me Carrie. tell me out of pity i am too weak to be tantalized you shall be tantalized it will do you no harm you are not so weak as you pretend i have twice this seeming had some thoughts of falling on the floor at your feet you had better not i shall decline to help you up and worshipping you downright my mother was a roman catholic you look like the loveliest of her pictures of the virgin i think i will embrace her faith and kneel and adore robert robert sit still don't be absurd i will go to hortense if you commit extravagances you have stolen my senses just now nothing will come into my mind but les litanies de la sainte vierge rose Celeste. Rein des des tout devoir maison d'or is not that the jargon well sit down quietly and guess your riddle but mamma charmed there's the puzzle i'll tell you what mamma said when i told her depend upon it my dear such a choice will make the happiness of miss kildar's life i'll guess once and no more it is old helstone she is going to be your aunt i'll tell my uncle i'll tell shirley cried caroline laughing gleefully guess again Robert. your blunders are charming it is the parson hall indeed no he is mine if you please yours i the whole generation of women in briarfield seem to have made an idol of that priest i wonder why he is bald sand-blind gray-haired then he will be here to fetch me before you solve the riddle if you don't make haste i'll guess no more i'm tired and then i don't care miss kildar may marry le grand turc for me must i whisper that you must and quickly here comes hortense come near a little near my own lena i care for the whisper more than the words she whispered robert gave a start a flash of the eye a brief laugh miss moore entered and sarah followed behind with information that fanny was come the hour of converse was over robert found a moment to exchange a few more whispered sentences he was waiting at the foot of the staircase as caroline descended after putting on her shawl must i call shirley a noble creature now he asked if you wish to speak the truth certainly must i forgive her forgive her naughty robert was she in the wrong or were you must i at length love her downright carrie caroline looked keenly up and made a movement towards him something between the loving and the petulant only give the word and i'll try to obey you indeed you must not love her the bare idea is perverse but then she is handsome peculiarly handsome hers is a beauty that grows on you you think her but graceful when you first see her you discover her to be beautiful when you have known her for a year it is not you who are to say these things now robert be good oh Carrie, i've no love to give were the goddess of beauty to woo me i could not meet her advances there is no heart which i can call mine in this breast so much the better you are a great deal safer without good-night why must you always go lena at the very instant when i most want you to stay because you most wish to retain when you are most certain to lose listen one other word take care of your own heart do you hear me there is no danger i am not convinced of that the platonic parson for instance who malone cyril hall i owe more than one twinge of jealousy to that quarter as to you you have been flirting with miss mann she showed me the other day a plant you had given her fanny i am ready chapter thirty five